Um, if you, just one quick announcement. If you are here this morning, uh, then thank you because you're listening to me. I have um, a gift for you, for anybody that is here this morning, any family that's here. Uh, it's, it's a DVD, Forever Changed, that uh, ACLJ produced, um, and it's a free gift. If you'll see Angela after the service at the coffee over there, she'll give one. It's one per family, and they're free compliments of uh, ACLJ. So it's a, it's a great gift. It's just basically a documentary of the last 10 years from a Christian perspective of what has happened to our nation, what is coming to our nation, and it's our gift to you. It would be a great thing for you to sit down and watch with your family. Every uh, week of my life when I was a kid was organized around the A-team. It was, and if you look at it, you can watch it on Netflix now, you remember, that really wasn't as good as I remembered it. <laughs> but there's a plan, and as I was reading Acts 21 this week, I'm like, you know, God, George Papard, like now that, you know, Morgan Freeman, we can maybe put George Papard as God is the new one because there's a plan in everything. And as I was reading Acts 21, uh, verse 8, I, I was just thinking, well, this is, there's a plan in everything. It, it was, uh, let's start in verse 7. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at uh, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. And leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters, God rest his soul, who prophesied. <laughs> After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, that the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And in verse 12, we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And in the King James Version, that got ready actually says they picked up their bags, their carriages, and moved, uh, moved towards Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Father, we as, uh, as a body of believers come this morning 
just seeking your, your, uh, your words for our lives. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light for us. It's, a, it's a direction. It's clarity. It's wisdom. And, and uh, as we encounter your word this morning, we ask that it would be all of those things to us, a, a supernatural experience, not just an academic exercise. In Jesus' name, amen. I read this, and I couldn't figure out why it resonated with me. But then I'm looking at it, and it was, he's basically a group of people trying to say something, and a guy that won't listen. And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm used to people not listening to me. Um, not here, you understand. But, but in, a, in, a, in another life, I was an artist manager, and that was really the name of the game. Was They, didn't, they never listened to me. Um, and here's the thing, as a manager, you might think it's like a, like a store where you're the manager and you say, go do this and go do that, and then they go and do these things. That is not it at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Of that. You're trying to figure out how to help them to make a decision that is good, that they thought of themselves, and then that, that can then help to propel them. Because and here's the, the bottom line, the, the dilemma is this. The business model of an artist manager is that I am going to put the entire financial well-being of my family into the decision-making abilities of a 19-year-old. Think about that. Now, as they get older, they make better decisions. The problem is, is that when you're 19, you gotta make the decisions that will allow you to then be around 10 years later. And, and so my job as a manager was to, you know, to help them make those decisions. And, and, and there are moments where I was like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Um, when a band that I used to work with, um, who had a keyboard player that slept on a plane. He's one of those guys that would sleep on a plane that you were jealous of because he'd sleep before the plane took off and he'd be asleep when it landed. Like, how do you do that? Well, one day the band was on their way home. They did, a, you know, uh, they're on Southwest, the Greyhound of the Sky. And so it makes a stop in Kansas City. The band gets off and they leave Patrick on the plane and just go home to Nashville. Patrick wakes up somewhere over the Midwest on his way to Albuquerque because they think it's funny. <laughs> or, and one of the guys that I used to manage, uh, his name was Kevin Young, he was in a band called Disciple. He, he gave me the secret, he said this, that a band, whatever age you are in, when you enter the bus, and you girls tell me if this is true or not, you are going to be forever uh, reverted to that age for the rest of your life. So you will be a 19-year-old bass player trapped in the body of a 40-year-old someday. Which would explain why, in a hotel room, in a city that I can't even remember, a tour manager that is actually no longer with them, and you'll soon see why, uh, he was also one of these heavy sleeper guys, and he's supposed to fly out the next morning. And so he falls asleep in the bed, and normally they would write, like, Sharpie on his head something and then leave, but they, this time they, uh, they put an ironing board over him lengthwise. And so he's asleep, the ironing board is like this. So the ironing board is, if you can get this in your mind, a picture lengthwise over him. And fill uh, glasses of water and put it on top of the ironing board. And then s set an alarm right next to his head and set it for 15 minutes later. And then get in the bus and leave town. And so in 15 minutes, Chad, we'll call him, uh, that's actually his real name. Wakes up. 
It falls, and of course the ironing board falls, water's all over him in his bed, and he's in his boxer shorts, and he runs out into the hallway, assuming that you would think he would be, that they're out in the hallway so they could go, ha, 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 gotcha, but they weren't, and so now he's soaking wet in his boxer shorts in the middle of the night, and the door of the hotel room shuts behind him. <laughs> this is how I spend my days, apologizing to the hotel. Yeah, we'll get that clean. I'm sorry. No. Um, he said, is keyboard on fire? Seriously? No, no, we won't let that. I won't do that again. Um, but the point was this of the whole story was that I was managing not the band as much as I managed a process that was over the top of the artist. In that, in the days, the glory days of the music industry, there would be lots of people that would work on behalf of an artist's career. Uh, it, literally hundreds of people. There were going to be promoters, there were going to be uh, radio people, publicity people, booking people, all these people that had to be in sort of a concert working on behalf of the artist. And so no matter what was going on inside of this process with the artist, they were still going to get on a bus, for the most part, and get to the next city to do whatever. There was this, you, you see what I'm saying? There was this orchestra going on behind the scenes that they didn't even know. In fact, one of my jobs would be if we were in a situation where I like this is your distribution guy in Seattle to introduce them because this is a guy that works for this artist on a daily basis. This artist has never even seen. So the idea is, hey, this is so-and-so. Here's what he does for you. And hey, I'm so-and-so, you know, uh, because they didn't even know half the time what was going on. There was a plan in place that was happening. And inside of it, there, were, there was an artist. There are artists that are they're writing and they're creating and they're performing. But all around them is this plan with all these unseen forces, people that they've never even known or maybe never will know, working on their behalf. That's what a manager uh, does. And it was remarkable when I look at this uh, vignette here because I see a plan in place in Paul's life. And I see that whether or not anybody around them knew what was going on, there were all these unseen forces, unseen angels and people working in concert to get Paul to exactly where he needed to be. We see it in Acts 9 when he was originally called. He was told that you're, he was stopped in the middle of it all, right, and saying you're going to uh, go to the Gentiles and to the Jews and then you'll speak in front of their kings. And he knew all of this. And then as the last chapter, if you remember in chapter 20, which you probably don't because that's been like three weeks ago, he was walking in the spirit because he was trying to get to Jerusalem because he knew God wanted him to go to Jerusalem. And he was going to, if you remember, there's a little U, right, where they, there was water in the middle and there was land all around this like uh, gulf. And so his plan was to take a boat across to get to the shortcut to get to Jerusalem. That was the plan that he wanted, but God had a different plan. And so Paul just made a switch. And of course, he ends up taking the scenic route. It would have added a couple hundred miles. It would have added many more stops. But all along, he knew he needed to get to Jerusalem. And at each city he goes to, he gets this promise. There's going to be trouble when you get there. Every city. Look, when you get to Jerusalem, there's going to be trouble. Until he finally gets to Caesarea, which is a, it's like a Destin. It's like a coastal town. It's a beach. It's beautiful. And Agabus the prophet comes and says, look, whoever uh, holds this belt, he takes Paul's belt and ties it around his wrist and says, whoever holds this belt, there's going to be trouble for in Jerusalem. They're going to take you and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. And Paul says something interesting. He says, I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay because, I would, it, it, because for the cause of Christ, I'm not only willing to be tied up, I'm willing to die. Now, what's interesting to me about that is this. 
Paul had a passion that he talked about over and over and over again to get to Rome. That was his goal from the start. And so when he's saying, I'm willing to die in Jerusalem, he's saying, I'm willing to let my dreams die with me. He was handing it all over to the Father. And he was doing it because, and when I, the reason I even shared this little A-team, not just you know, for nostalgia, but because what he did when these guys even were trying to persuade him and they said, the Lord's will be done. Every movie has a sort of a, a phrase or most the, you know, epic movies have a phrase. If I were to say, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore, you would know that that is Wizard of Oz. If you're a 40-year-old male uh, and I say, I'll be your huckleberry, you would know that that is Tombstone. Women are like, what? Um, I think my husband made me see that. Um, <laughs> there are these movies, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, excellent. You know, there are, they, they just sort of encapsulate the entire thing, the entire movie in a phrase, in a statement. And in this phrase, the Lord's will be done, I think it is the defining statement from Genesis to Revelation, from your birth until your graduation, the, that is your statement. In, in fact, I think that you ought to put a big old cigar in your mouth. And like George Pappard, when, when it's hitting the fan, say, the will of the Lord be done. <laughs> you don't have to use a cigar, I'm just saying. But I want you to remember that statement because that's the defining moment of our lives. Because the truth is, the Spirit did tell him all these bad things were going to happen. What the Spirit did not say was, don't go to Jerusalem. The other guys added that part, because that kind of makes sense. Hey, they're going to beat you up and tie you up and hand you over to the Gentiles. You might want to go a different direction. And here's the thing, sometimes Paul did. When he originally was going to get on that boat to cut across, there was a plot to kill him. And he didn't get on that boat. Not because he wasn't willing to die, he said he was. But the Lord's will be done. And for us in our lives, what I would hope for us to leave this morning is that we can, whatever our situation, as good as it is or as bad as it is, look to it and say, the Lord's will be done. Because they were walking into a nightmare. Paul knew what he was walking into. There was no question what he was walking into. And he said, the Lord's will be done. There are things that that does for us. And if you're a note taker, you'll see that what this did for these guys was it gave them protection. The Lord's will be done. It's dangerous to go to Haiti. But newsflash, it's dangerous to drive to Starbucks. Have you seen Tennessee drivers? We're uh, talking uh, to the guys that, that skydived yesterday, and of course, this might be the selling pitch from the, the skydiving people, but they said the dangerous part is actually the bus ride. You're, it's more dangerous from the bus ride to the plane than actually jumping out of the plane. There's this illusion of control that we have. And I'm telling you this because we have this idea that I'm going to stay right here because then I'm protected. And what I'm telling you is when you jump into the Lord's will for your life, you are protected. An old missionary once told me this, Darren, you are immortal until God is done with you. And then whether I'm at Starbucks or I'm in the backwoods on a motorcycle in Togo, Africa, and some guy comes and chops my head off, that was my time. It was it. I'm up now. And I've graduated. 
So this idea that I'm going to just stay here and hide out because then I'm protected is an illusion. You are immortal to whatever God calls you to do. Immortal to go to your neighbor to talk to him about Jesus. Immortal to talk to your kids about it. There is a protection that it gives you in your career, in your relationships. You are immortal when you say that the Lord's will be done. I'm protected in that environment. There was provision that was provided for them because they're in God's will. Now, keeping in mind, Paul's passion was to go where? Rome. And if you've read ahead, you know he's going to get to go to Rome on an all-expense-paid trip. Now, it wasn't necessarily the way he thought he was getting there. He was arrested and in chains, but still it was paid. And he gets the provision for his journey. All along the way, there was a, a provision made for him as he went on this journey, saying God's will be done. That's what it did for them. I think just as important is what it can do in you. Because there was a peace that these guys had. And you know this because once they said the Lord's will be done, we saw that he couldn't be dissuaded. We picked up our bags, the baggage of that decision, and, and went straight to Jerusalem. And there was a peace for them. Never again did they bring it up. Whether there was a shipwreck or a riot in the city or being hauled off to Rome in chains, they never said, see, Paul, this is what you get for not listening. There was a peace because they said the Lord's will be done. There's a peace that you can have in the midst of the most horrendous of circumstances when you take a step back and say, I don't understand how this is going, but the Lord's will be done. And here's the news. It's going to be. Whether you like it or not, we talked about it last week, I think, when I said that you strap your kid into the car seat, you're taking him on the family trip to Minneapolis. He's getting there one way or the other. He's, he can like it or he can not like it, but he's going. You may not understand it, but he, you can have peace on your trip when you just say, I don't know where this van's going, but I got a good daddy, and he's taking me along for the ride. This one is particularly important to me because when I, you see me here today, and you might think, he's got holes in his jeans. This guy can't be a pastor. And let me tell you, you have no idea why I can't be a pastor. There are way more reasons than that. But when I was a young guy, we literally, Shannon and I got married in, in uh, December of 94. In, uh, it'll be 18 years in a couple months. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't know come here from Sikkim. I had no idea where I was going, what I was doing. And God provided this opportunity for me to be a, in the music side of things. Now, the, the problem with this was that at that time, I knew in my heart and in my soul that God had, when I was a little guy, called me to be in ministry. Fifth grade, I just, I remember it. I, I, was a, I was a weird kid. I read the Bible at night. I was just, you know, I was just, I knew it. But I had always thought, especially when it got hard, especially when a client that I had that had gone platinum decided, hey, you're the farm team, and I'm taking a walk to the big dog. Ugh, you know, especially when I'm giving plasma to make money. Basically, if you don't know what that is, they take a coffee stirrer, stick it in your arm, and then give you 20 bucks. But that's how we had to buy milk. I mean, I'm, there are moments, and I didn't even talk about it out loud because I didn't know how to articulate it, was, did I make the wrong turn? Should I have turned left instead of go right? Should I have not taken this gig and gone a different way? And it, the older I got, it was like I felt like the paths converged even further. I felt like I had, like Paul, killed the dream that it wasn't going to be revived. 
that I had gone the wrong way. Paul was saying his dream in Rome, and of course, Paul was smarter than I was, but I didn't know that. And in the good times, the pressure would be like, oh, I wonder when my mom would introduce me, that's, that's Darren, he's my son, the minister, because that's all she ever wanted me to be. But yeah, my mom, I also booked like third day, remember? You know, I did that too. And she, the only time she ever actually acknowledged that I was in the music industry is when I worked with Sandy Patty. That's my son, he works with Sandy Patty. Uh, <laughs> and then that was over and she's, you know, my son the minister. Um, it all came to a head for me when I finally said, the Lord's will be done. Because it was miserable for me in my heart, especially the, the last year I was in the, the, the industry thinking, what do I do? Because, you know, I, saw, I had a company with employees and bands that I couldn't just put in a two-week notice and, you know, there was, I was like extricating myself from this heap and, and the, you know what, the Lord's will be done. If this is what you want me to do, to do this for the rest of my life, then I'm okay with it. I just am. I, I don't, I mean, I'd be a traveling speaker and be cool and on TV and write books or, but if this is it, I mean, this is, the, this is, I mean, there's worse ways to make a living, right? I mean, I could be digging coal mines in England, but if this is it. But what happened in that moment was all of a sudden I got a piece about it and his will became apparent to me. Just like Paul said it would in Romans 12 when he said that when you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, pure, holy, and acceptable to him, renewing your mind, yada, yada, then you will know the will of your, the God for your life is perfect, pleasing will. When I crawled up on the altar and said, all right, let me have it, he pulled me back off again and showed me the way. And here we are today because of that. Now, what I wish I had done now is I wish I would have asked Leah. And you might not know Leah, but Leah spent her entire life in second place, last place. Leah's sister was hot. And Leah was, you might remember the story in Genesis, it said that she had, uh, it actually says I think lazy eyes, or, but it basically one of the translations could be she was hard on the eyes. It was hard to look at her. And that's her name every day. Oh, you know. But imagine, Imagine Leah in the heartache of that. Every time your sister is the hot one, your sister's the one that all, and your sister's tough, she's the shepherd. You know, she probably burped with them, you know, at the well, with the, you know, Leah, Rachel's awesome. And, Leah. And, and so imagine Leah's disappointment when yet another guy wanders into camp and says, I want her. Leah was older and their culture said that Leah must be married first. And here's Leah in last place again. And this guy wanted Rachel. This is how awesome she was. He wanted her so bad that he was willing to work for seven years for free for her. And so he did. And every day, Leah would be forced to look at a guy working his rear end off, not for her, but for her brother or her sister. That was in Leviticus. Sorry, that was Ted. Every day. Until the day of the wedding is to arrive, and then dad springs it on Leah. Hey, run in there real quick, and you're the one. We're going to get you married first. And, now, that might have sounded like a good idea to Laban, but if you're Leah, it's one more proof and one more evidence that you are not valuable. Because the only way you're going to get married is someone gets tricked into it. And sure enough, Jacob wakes up in the morning and going, ah! <laughs> Runs out, and one more brick on the shame in Leah's life. And now she would live for another seven years watching her husband work, not for her, but her sister. 
and yet more heartache, more piled on her, and more of her lack of value. And then he would marry Rachel. And the story would be sad if it were to end there. Your story might be sad if it were to end here, but it didn't because God was at work. There was a plan in place. Two steps ahead, just like George Papard, just like Hannibal in the A-team, there was a plan. And this plan was that Leah, even though she felt like she was being used and Jacob felt like he was getting gypped, Jesus was right in the middle of it. How do I know that? At the end of Leah's, Jacob's life, in the book of Genesis chapter 49, Jonathan, I'm gonna guess 39-ish. He says, bury me, he's talking, he's blessing his sons. You are this and you are that. And then he says to him, and bury me next to, not Rachel, Leah. Bury me with Leah. Leah, who had clearly, over life, had taken the role that God had intended, and I say God because of this, God had intended for her, because Jesus was right in the middle of this, even though it looked like it, not to Jacob, not to Leah, and not even to Rachel, but he was, because Leah would give birth to sons, Reuben, Simeon, Judah. Jesus was a lion of the tribe of, Jesus was right in the middle of it, the whole time. They didn't see it. They're like B.A. Baracus in the helicopter going, no, I don't know, I'm going to get out of this alive. But Jesus was right there in the middle of the whole thing. Bury me next to Leah. God had a plan in place the whole time, and they didn't know it. And there was pain and there was suffering. But I assure you, thousands of years later in heaven, I still a blip in, the, in eternity. They're all probably all four sitting around going, that was awesome. I love it when a plan comes together. And Darren, what about Rachel? She kind of got gypped. She would say to Jacob, because she saw Leah giving birth to these children and feeling like she was now left out, the one that was always in first place, feeling like she's in last place, and isn't that how it always is? You might be in first place on the outside, but on the inside, you're not. You feel it. You feel like if they only knew who you really were. And Rachel would say, give me children or else I'll die. That's what she said. And she began, this thing that he wanted, this dream that he had of her, began to be his nightmare. Give me children or else. She's just riding him like a rented mule. Just you got it. This is you, Jacob. And, and she would give birth to two sons, to Joseph and then to Benjamin. And of course, she would give children lest I die. And she died giving birth to Benjamin. But understand that Jesus was in the middle of that too because Joseph would go on to be the one perfect example of Jesus. And the, whether you're an Old Testament, New Testament, or somewhere between Testament scholar, you agree that Joseph is a picture of Jesus the perfect picture of Jesus and the one that would save Israel, that would protect the bloodline of Christ, that would keep Israel safe so that Jesus could thousands of years later come on the scene because it was a nation that was protected. Jesus was in both of those situations. And I say that to you this morning to say, I don't know where you are in your career, in your marriage. You might think, man, I have made a terrible decision with this guy. By the way, what's the difference between a husband and a boyfriend? 30 pounds. The, um, <laughs> this wasn't the guy I married. There's a whole lot more of them now. It was like a grenade. You gotta give it a second before it goes off. 
But I'm telling you that if, if you stop of this moment and whatever the situation is to say the Lord's will be done. This is not the career path that I had in mind, but God's will be done. You are praying a prayer that Jesus told us to pray in Matthew 6 when he said, pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm throwing my hands up saying, I don't know, but the Lord's will be done. There will be a provision. There will be a uh, peace. There will be protection in that moment. And Jesus himself would then pray that very prayer in Matthew 26, wouldn't he, when he leaned his head down and said, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to that cross, but I am saying that thy will be done, not mine. And then he picked up the baggage, but in his case, it wasn't a Samsonite suitcase or a camel pouch. It was a, a cross that he would carry. And he would carry that baggage of that decision all the way to Jerusalem, just like Paul and his men would do. And just like we can do as well to say that, he, Jesus never said we wouldn't have a burden. He just said it would be light. That whatever decisions that we've made, that we can carry the baggage of that decision, but because of the saying that the, that the Lord's will be done, that not only the, what the provision that he's given us uh, for us, that not only the peace that he gives in us, not only just the propitiation that he did for us historically, but there is a plan for us future-wise because, again, your story doesn't end here. Your story ends and then begins when you are graduated into heaven. When you are there, and keeping in mind, when it says that we're going to sit around the throne saying, righteous and true are your judgments, O God. That's not like, you know, my son is into the new robot thing. I don't know, he must have saw like an electric boogaloo breakdancing, but he's like doing the robot, you know, all the time. It's not like we're going to be doing the robot around the throne going, you know, righteous and true are your judgments, God. It, we're going to be genuinely going, wow, that's what it was. It's like every M. Night Shyamalan movie wrapped into one. That moment where you're like, oh, I see dead people. And he's like, oh, that's why, because you were dead. I didn't know that. <laughs> or at the end of the movie with Denzel Washington, and I can't remember, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, spoiler alert. But at the end of the movie, he's blind. You're like, ah, oh, I didn't know that. I think that that is a whisper of Eden and a hint of the future God wired us into us to love a good mystery, to love a good uh, uh, solution and an ending to this, going, that's it. And I, for one, think that if there, what is it possible that we could spend an eternity in heaven around a throne saying, righteous and true are your judgments, O God, than to over and over and over again going, God going like George Papard, I love it when a plan comes together. Paul's plan was coming together. God's plan for Paul was coming together. God's plan for you is coming together. And you could be B.A. Baracus in the back seat going, yeah! Or you could be Murdoch going, this is awesome! It's going to crash. Awesome! Because the Lord's will be done. They didn't follow Paul blindly to Jerusalem. They knew that God's will would be done. And that his will is better than mine. He's smarter than me. And if there's anything that I could encourage you with, just based upon my experience, is just that. That his will is way better than mine. If I'd have had my way, I'd have been playing bass in a band. And I'd be 40 years old, still playing bass in a band. And I would be away from my family. And God chooses some people to do that for their past. But I like this one. He wired me for this one. He didn't wire me for that one. Some people he wires for that, and that's how he puts them in their life. But if I were to try to force myself into a situation that I wasn't supposed to be in, 
that I'm going to be miserable. But I guess what I want to land on as the worship band comes, I want to land on this idea is that you might be thinking, yeah, but Darren, I really did. I messed up. I, I blew it. Can God redeem my choice? Over and over and over and over again in, in the Old and the New Testament is a picture of a God that can take the broken pieces of your life, put them together in a mosaic that becomes this beautiful picture. So what you think is a bad decision, I have a newsflash for you. God is in the middle of it. A great decision to you, God is in the middle of it. He is going to wire it. Those roads that feel like they may not converge again, he's way smarter than you are. And behind the scenes, there is a God saying, I love it when a plan comes together. There's always a plan, kid. One step ahead of him, two steps ahead. God has got a plan for you, and you can relax, and you can rest, have provision, have protection, and have peace in your life. You don't have to live this way. You just don't. You're in the car. You might as well enjoy the ride. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I mean, Paul was, in, he was arrested for crying out loud, but he said, I knew the secret, which is whether I had much or I had little, I've learned the secret, and that is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Whether your money is gone or whether you are loaded, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you because there's always a plan, kid. And I love it when a plan comes together. God, we are um, humbled by your wisdom and your promises for us that are true. And I just ask for peace this morning for those of us that are in a job that we hate or a relationship where we're miserable or a, a situation that I didn't, you didn't see coming. You did. You saw it coming and you can be just like with Rachel and just like with Leah and Jacob. You can get in the middle of that, the decisions that didn't seem very smart and still redeem them. The story isn't over. There's one more page, one more chapter of a great story of my life, of your life. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your peace. In your name and in your nature that we pray. Amen. We stand with us. We're going to sing. It's also when we're going to take our tithes and offerings. And we do have communion up here. For anybody who wants to take part in that while we sing this.